this all set up here. Um, so my name is Thomas. Of course, you've heard that a couple times. Uh, I promise I didn't like plan this entire evening to be about me with like <laughs> hot seat and everything. Um, that was really not my intention. But my name is Thomas. I'm the RUF campus minister here. Uh, and I'm just really glad to see you guys. It's good to be here. Uh, RUF for me in college was a really significant place. And it's really exciting for me to be able to be here and to be able to bring the word to you guys tonight. Um, and so we're, we're doing a, a series called Songs That Shape Us, which is in the Psalms, which is a book in the Old Testament, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. Um, and kind of our theme that we've been talking about is that the Psalms meet us where we are, and they take us where we need to go. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 8. Um, so I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news recently, but there's really one story that's been dominating everything. Uh, on January 9th, Earlier this year, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, uh, also known as Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, uh, decided that they were going to be stepping down from the royal family. Uh, and pop culture chaos kind of ensued after that. There are all sorts of memes and tweets that just went all over the place. One of my favorite headlines uh, read this way, said <laughs> about Prince Harry, says, 35-year-old man vows to move out of his parents' house and give up allowance. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's even been a title that's been made for this. There's been a, a Megxit, right? You might have heard that. Or my personal favorite is Harry Verdurci, uh, which people aren't saying as much, but I think we should. Um, but our culture is talking about this a lot. And it kind of makes me think why. We can't seem to stop talking about this prince and his wife stepping down from this really prominent role. And I think this is because within us, whenever we see somebody stepping down from a role like this, it's a little bit frustrating. We see somebody who has this position of prominence and this position that like matters, and then they're just like, no thanks. Like, of course we understand, like you gotta take care of your family, being in the limelight was really frustrating, but you know, at a base level, it's really frustrating, right? It's really sad to see somebody who has this, this significance that we're longing for, just say, no thanks, I'm gonna step down and go move to Canada and just do my own thing. I think this frustrates us because we're all working towards something, right? We're all here in college working towards something, trying to figure out our career paths, stuff like that. And we, we see it frustrating when there's someone who has arrived, someone who has the thing that we're working towards, and they're just like, no thanks. It's pretty frustrating. Prince Harry and Meghan, were, they were significant. How in the world could they walk away? It's frustrating. And our culture is actually obsessed with finding significance. We look for significance everywhere. Um, one specific area that I think of is uh, social media. I was looking up statistics on this. Um, the average person spends two and a half hours a day on social media. Uh, and just to make this personal, I'm not like condemning anyone. I did some research on my social media statistics and my phone. Um, last week, while I was working my job, uh, I averaged about three hours of social media a day, and I unlocked my phone 59 times a day. Why do we do this? Why are we so obsessed with our phone? Why are we so obsessed with social media? Because we're trying to pull life out of it. And it's not only social media. Like, everybody and their mother has a podcast now, right? <laughs> like, it's everyone. And then we, we, uh, we all go to college, and then we go on to grad school because that's not enough. The average student debt nowadays, like for people finishing when they start their first job, is $40,000. But maybe it's not even just those things. Uh, for some of us, we, we look for significance in relationships. 
We even think about that with the title, right? Like significant other. Or maybe it's not even in dating someone. Maybe you, you just find your significance in being the type of person that your friend, that you can always, uh, friends can always come to you. You always want to be there. No matter what, no matter what time of the night, you're always there for them. And I think this is why we're so anxious, depressed, and overworked. Because we're looking for significance and we just can't seem to find it. And this psalm actually meets us in this hunger for significance and it takes us where we need to go. And Psalm 8 is a, uh, it's a song of praise written by King David, um, which if you know anything about King David in the Bible, he was actually like the very definition of significance. Um, Israel in the Old Testament was actually just a group of kind of like disparate tribes until King David comes along and he unites them into this amazing nation. Um, he does all these crazy military victories. He ends up setting up the kingdom for future success. He's a big deal in the Old Testament. He is the definition of significance. And so as we look at this passage today, we're going to be asking this question. How can we know that we're significant? How can we know? So I'm going to read the passage for us and pray, and then we can jump in and get started. So Psalm 8, starting in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that um, you meet us in the midst of our desire for significance. Lord, that um, you speak to us. You don't shame us. Um, You don't tell us that um, we shouldn't long for that sort of thing. But Lord, you actually direct us to where we need to go. And I pray um, that as we look at this passage as we look at this song about significance, that we would see um, your love for us. So I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would give us attentive hearts. All these things ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so how do we know that we're significant? And starting in verse 1, we see that uh, David actually starts with God. The question is, how do we know we're significant? David starts with God. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And if you see, uh, kind of in, in, the, in a lot of Bibles, they have it spelled like, O oh Lord, our Lord, the first one's in all caps, the second one is a little bit lower. Uh, the all caps is actually an uh, English translation of Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God. So what he's saying here is, O oh covenant Lord, and then the second one, Lord, it just means king. So he's saying, O oh covenant God, he's calling to mind God's actions towards his people. And he says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, majestic might not really be a word that we use that much, um, but it actually means something kind of like a like noble, right? Like a knight. It's someone who's both powerful and has character. Someone who's both powerful and beautiful. Uh, when I think of uh, noble, I think of, or sorry, when I think of majestic, uh, my wife and I went on a trip over the summer to Arches National Park. Has anyone ever been there before? 
It's a beautiful place. Um, there's a great hike there. Uh, it's called the Delicate Arch Trail. If you've ever seen the, the Utah license plate, it has Delicate Arch on it. It's, it's really beautiful. But this hike, uh, you go up this like insane mountain and then you go around this winding trail. There's like a cliff right here. You feel like you're going to die. And then you just round this corner and then boom, right there is Delicate Arch. And it's beautiful and it's huge. It's powerful. Like it's scary looking, but it's also so beautiful that you don't want to look away. That's what David is saying about the Lord. He's saying that he's both powerful and beautiful. And then he moves on in verse 2. It says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This seems a little bit strange, right? What do we think he's saying here? Out of the mouth of babies and infants. Is David talking about some sort of like Jack-Jack character from The Incredibles (laughs) that just wrecks all of God's enemies? Uh, No, I don't think that's actually what he's talking about. Uh, Jesus actually quotes this passage in Matthew 21. Uh, And the context of that is that Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem, and then he goes to the temple and he starts teaching. And as he's teaching, all these children are following him around saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're praising Jesus as the king, as the person that all of Israel's hopes are moving towards. They're praising him. They're making a big noise. And then the religious leaders in the temple come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, can you quiet those kids down? They're being a little bit frustrating. And then Jesus responds by saying, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Jesus quotes this to point us to a principle here. This tells us something about God. God is the type of God who uses babies and infants to defeat his foes. God is the type of God who establishes his praise from children when the religious leaders don't get it. God's the type of God that accomplishes his purpose through the helpless. And we see also in verse 3, it says that the heavens are the work of God's fingers, that he sets the moon and the stars in place. We see from this that God is, is a creator, that there's such a thing as a created order, that it's not just randomness when we look at creation. It's actually designed with purpose. But we see that it's not just that everything is balanced and it fits together perfectly. It's also beautiful, right? God's not just an engineer. He's also a designer. He creates things beautifully. So if we think back to our original question, how do we know that we're significant? I think the first answer that this passage gives us is that God is significant. But that might seem to be a little bit of a counterintuitive, like kind of sidestepping the question. It's like, well, the question is, how do we know that we're significant, not is God significant? Why do we start here? Uh, So in April 2013, uh, there's an author named Robert Gilbreth who's a first-time novelist, came out with this book called uh, Cuckoo's Calling, or perhaps Cuckoo's Calling, if that's how you prefer to pronounce that. Molly and I disagreed on that. It's fine. Um, But he came out with this book, uh, and it was a mystery novel, and it had all sorts of uh, good critical reviews. People were saying that it was uh, an amazing novel, that it was uh, one of the best mystery novels in the last, like, 20 years. Um, But it had these amazing reviews, but unfortunately, it it didn't do too well in its first couple months out on the market. Uh, In the first three months, it only sold 1,500 copies, which is not very good. And it came in at 4,709th on the bestseller list. But then, in July 2013, 18,000 copies of it were sold in one week. And it went all the way from 4,709th on the bestseller list to first on the bestseller list. 
And now if you look for a first edition of uh, Cuckoo's Calling, it's going to cost you about $5,000. So what happened to bring this unknown artist to the forefront? Uh, in July of 2013, the Sunday Times, which is a uh, UK news outlet, came out with a story that said Robert Gilbraith actually doesn't exist, that there's no such person. And then, this, and then it went on to say that actually the person who wrote the book was none other than J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, and she was using it as a pseudonym. And when people understood that the book was written by J.K. Rowling, they went crazy for it. It got all sorts of amazing critical review. You see, knowing the author enabled people to appreciate the work for what it was. Without knowing who the author was, without knowing that it was J.K. Rowling who wrote Harry Potter, people had no idea that this was an important work. But because they knew the author, they could see that it was significant. And in the same way, knowing that God is significant is the bedrock for us being able to understand our own significance. And this might be uh, frustrating for some of us to start here, because this isn't exactly uh, what, what our culture tells us, right? If you want to know that you're significant, you need to look inward. But that's not the Bible's answer. The Bible tells us that everything is about God, and that's where we've got to start. But maybe you're here and you're thinking, uh, doesn't focusing on God, wouldn't that lead to devaluing us? And if, uh, if you're thinking that, I would say you're in good company, because actually that's what David says in verse 4. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When he, when he contemplates the magnitude of God, he starts to think, well, what are we in comparison to that? Is that a question that you've ever pondered? Have you ever looked at the immensity of this world and just thought, like, do I matter? I think this is a question that we can all relate to, whether we are believers or not. Have you ever felt small? you ever felt insignificant in the face of everything in this world? I mean, how can we look at the world around us and not think that we're just an insignificant speck of dust? I think we have the Bible's answer here, starting in verse 5. It says, or sorry, in verse 4 it says, What is man that you are mindful of? I'm going to ask this question. And then in verse 5 it says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. It says here that God has made humanity a little lower than the heavenly beings, that God has made humanity the highest thing in all of creation. And it says that he has crowned us with glory and honor. And this word uh, glory here, um, actually the the word for glory in the Old Testament, it it, it means something like uh, to make heavy. And this is similar to how we, uh, we might talk, like if you talk to a friend about something that was significant, you might say, man, like that was really heavy. And that's what, that's what it's saying here, that God makes us heavy. So in the face of this question that we feel like we're a speck of dust in this universe, we see that God makes us significant. God gives us weight. And what's actually happening in this passage is, is David is reflecting on Genesis 1. He's reflecting on this, this doctrine that we call being made in the image of God. He says here that God made us. And because God is significant, we're significant. We are glorious and worthy of honor. But not only that, he also says that you have, he says of God, he says, you have given him dominion and you have put all things under his feet. So we see not only has God crowned us with glory and honor, not only has he made us weighty, he's actually given us 
a job to do. He's given us dominion. It says, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So it's interesting uh, to talk about being human in relation to all of these things, right? Does this mean that we need to uh, go back to like raising sheep and all sorts of things if we want to be significant? Like, is this passage telling us to open a zoo? That's not what it's doing here. It's saying that of all of creation, we are the pinnacle. That God has given us that status. We're significant because God made us that way. So how do we know that we're significant? See that God made us in his image. God made us in his image. So uh, uh, when I was in high school, um, I, uh, I switched actually from going to a private school from kindergarten through eighth grade on to a big public school. Uh, and just to give you a little bit of perspective, if I would have stayed in my private school, I would have been a part of a graduating class of four. This is very small. And then when I graduated from this public school, I was part of a graduating class of 420. So a lot bigger. Um, and I had, you know, all of my friends went to private school. And then going to public school, I kind of assumed that, like, people were going to take my lunch money and then maybe, like, knife me on the first day. I don't know what happens in public school. I thought I would probably have to sell drugs to protect myself. I don't know. Whatever, whatever it would take, I was, I was there for it. Um, but when I walked on campus my first year as a freshman, uh, I really didn't have anything going for me. In fact, I was like right dead in the middle of puberty. Uh, didn't really know what to do with my hair. Hadn't really figured out my style yet. Uh, was really struggling with all sorts of problems. That I, I knew absolutely no one stepping onto this campus of over 2,000 people, except for one person. And that was my middle brother. My brother Ben uh, was a senior, and he was a star on the football team. And everyone knew him. And this became apparent to me whenever I walked on campus and I started seeing all of his friends and they were like, Little Coon, which became my identity, hence my first email address, which was lilcoon at gmail.com. I was insignificant, but my brother was significant. And when people looked at me, they actually saw him. When people looked at me, they didn't see this like awkward freshman. They saw Friday night football glory. Even though I was insignificant, I became significant because of who my brother was. And this is the same way it works with God. We become significant because of whose image we bear. Our significance doesn't come from anything specific that we do. It comes from who God is. God has made us in his image. And what does this mean for us? I think for some of us, this might be a little bit difficult to hear um, because a lot of us are very accomplishment focused. A lot of us might be doing super well with grades, um, with our involvement on campus. Uh, and for us, it, it's pretty hard to hear that our identity or our significance doesn't come from anything that we do. Uh, but I would ask you, if that's you, how long is that going to last? How long is it going to do it for you? How long are you going to be able to be on top of the game? What if your significance didn't come from you being super good at everything? What if it came from being in God's image? What if your significance was something that was given to you as a gift, not something that you had to run yourself to death trying to find? But then there are those of us that hear talking about the significance that God gives us, and we, we just think it can't possibly be true. There's no way that God could give me this sort of significance. 
And if that's you, I, I would direct you back to what it says here. It says that this status is a gift of God. It's not something that we earn. It's something that is given to us. The Lord made us. We are his creatures. He crowns us with glory and honor. He puts all things under our feet. Our identity is a gift. So when all is said and done, we can know that we're significant ultimately because we are made in the image of God. And we desire significance. We saw this at the beginning. We desire significance ultimately because we were made for it. But it doesn't really take us long to uh, look at this passage and to see this lofty position that's described, this um, you know, dignity that we have, this dominion over the creatures. It doesn't take us long to think about the abuse of this sort of significance. We see this all around us. We live in a world where there's more sex trafficking than there ever has been. We live in a world where there's child labor where big corporations will uh, employ children to make the products that a lot of us are wearing right now. We live in a world where there's rampant pollution, big businesses that don't really care about the earth. They just want to make things as cheap as they possibly can. And we buy it. But not only do we see this out there, we also see it in our own hearts. How often have we abused our God-given power? How often have we abused the influence that we have? How often have we not cared about the weak and the needy that God has placed in our lives? How often have we chosen comfort over anything else? So how can we still know that we're significant when we see failure to live up to this lofty status that God puts on us? How can we still know? And I think the answer to this failure is found in Jesus. In the New Testament, the the author of Hebrews actually reflects on this psalm. And he says this, He says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So as the author of Hebrews is reflecting on this, he says that Jesus reflects this image bearing that we see in our passage perfectly, that Jesus is the perfect image of God. And yet we see also that he suffered death and that he did it for everyone. What in the world can make someone who, bared the Im- who bore the image of God perfectly suffer and die? Uh, if you think back to kind of the opening illustration of Prince Harry uh, abdicating the throne, people being obsessed with it, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but he was actually not the first royal to ever step down from the throne. Uh, in 1936, King Edward VIII right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the two world wars at a very big time in our world's history, stepped down from the throne of England. And why did he do this? He did this because of a woman. The woman's name was Wallace Simpson. Uh, and the, uh, the British uh, political establishment was not going to let Edward marry her. Uh, and why? Well, first off, she was an American, uh, which is not a good look at that time for the British. Uh, that's changed a little bit. Um, second off, she was uh, she was a socialite. She was the type of person that you would see in tabloids all over the place, which is not exactly what uh, the British establishment wanted to see their king married to. And then finally, she was divorced. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but as the king of England, you're actually head of the church over there. So you couldn't be married to someone who was divorced. So Edward was told that he basically had to choose either the throne or Wallace. 
And then finally, on December 11th, 1936, he announced that he was going to step down from the throne. He counted a life with Wallace as more significant than all the power in the world. And friends, in the same way, Jesus counted us more significant than all the privileges and authority that were rightly his as the perfect image of God. And can I tell you something? We are far worse than a divorced American socialite. Jesus got a way worse deal than King Edward VIII, and yet he was glad to do it. Jesus reflected God perfectly, yet he willingly underwent death on the cross because he said that whatever it was going to take, he had to have us. And he moved heaven and earth to have us. And in his death, Jesus takes the penalty of our failure to reflect God's image. But also in his resurrection, he restores us to the significant life that we see in this psalm. Because of Jesus, we can know that we will have this sort of significant life. So friends, let's look to him. Please pray with me.